The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Green there, or you can open up in your Bibles, or flip to your phones, or look at the app, and it's still there, right? The app, you could find it right there, the verse. Okay, cool. Uh, here we go. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize that it is true that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and who do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened through Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but... God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Uh, Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask you to speak, Lord, that as we encounter you and the first church uh, and what made them distinct and unique to what came before, Lord, we ask that we have that same flavor, that same foundation. We say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. All right, before we start, I just have to point something out. This is a kick drum that is in a suitcase. It was awesome. I don't know. I just kept staring down at it. I'm like, that's the coolest invention ever. It has nothing to do with the sermon. I'm just throwing that out there. Right now, we have a kick drum that looks like a suitcase. Anyway, so to the actual message itself, uh, we are in a series called Acts. And we are a church, Acts Church Leander. And we've been talking about how Acts Church Leander has a history that goes beyond ourselves. Certainly, we connect to the first church. But even closer to that, there was a church called Axe Church Lakeway in Lakeway, Texas. And when they started, they had a dream that they would plant other congregations. They would plant other bodies of Christ all around the Austin area to reach new folks, to create new Christian communities, new Christian churches. And the idea was that each of us would be unique, each of us would be independent from one another, but we'd share a certain DNA, a certain culture. And so as they started to decide, well, what is their culture? What is their flavor of church going to be? Because there are so many good churches around Austin, they didn't want to try to copycat anyone. They wanted to be unique. They wanted to be distinctive. And so they went to the first church, the church we find in the book of Acts, and they came up with four values that they saw in the book of Acts. And not that these are the only four values or this is the only truth you'll ever find in Acts, or this is the perfect church, but saying, no, this is what is going to make us distinct. This is going to make us unique as a church. And they came up with four, adventure, community, transformation, and sending. Spelled Acts. It was very cute. It was very quaint. It's easy to remember. And so what we're doing this part of the year 
is we're re-entering those values and saying, so what does that look like for us? Last week, we did adventure. And this week, we're looking at what does Christian community look like? And specifically, what made Christian community distinct in the book of Acts? And as I was going through this message, there was a idea that started to form. And the more I thought about it, and the more I looked at scripture, the more I realized I've kind of been missing something about Christian community and the role it plays in how we share the gospel. Do you realize that Jesus said that Christian community is one of the most important witnesses to him, to the rest of the world? This comes from John. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Jesus, just before he left, just before he dies on the cross, he tells his disciples, the way that you love one another, the way that you do life as one another, is going to witness and share the gospel of who Jesus is. Think about that for a moment. Oftentimes, we as Christians can think the only way to share the gospel, the only witness that we have, is to specifically tell people about Jesus. And do not get me wrong, and we're going to get to this at the end of the sermon, that is part of the way we witness. But when Jesus tells his disciples, how will everyone know who you are? What he says is, it's how you love one another. It's how you do community. And so this idea that Christian community is distinct and important in the life of the church is true. And what we're going to find is in the book of Acts, the way the first church did community was completely countercultural to what the church had done before. It was completely countercultural to what the current culture was 2,000 years ago. And we're going to find it's actually countercultural to how our American culture does community as well. We're going to look at four sections of Acts specifically. And the first one is going to come from Acts 4. And it's describing this first gathering of churches. It says, all the believers were in one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is countercultural. Quite frankly, this section of scripture makes me a little bit uncomfortable. That is how countercultural it is to our current society. I mean, think about that. You don't own anything? Oh, I just bought a house. I mean, we literally six months ago bought a house. And to be like, wait, God, you might want me to sell this house? To give it to other people? Like, this is so not American individualism. This idea of joy, this is like a commune. This is one of those creepy things where everyone wears the same clothes, right? This is not comfortable. And yet what we find is one of the marks of the church is this idea of radical compassion. You see, the idea of compassion means that you are moved by someone else's plight, that you are moved by someone else's success. The idea of compassion means you get connected to people. 
And not just intellectually, not just emotionally, but holistically, you connect yourself to someone. And what happens is when you are connected to someone else, it changes how you live. It changes how you relate to them. It changes how you love them. It changes what you're willing to do for them. And so when we look at the first church, and we look at this first Christian community, what we see is this radical compassion where followers of Jesus consider themselves so much of family that they will go to any lengths to provide for their family. And when I look at it from that perspective, it doesn't seem so weird anymore. Because if my sister was sick, if my wife was sick, I would go to any lengths to help her. I would go to any lengths to help my father. I would go to any lengths to help a member of my family. No matter what the cost, I would pay it. And what we see in the first Christian church is this radical compassion that moves beyond simply blood relatives, but saying, no, we are of one mind, of one unity. And that changes how we interact with one another. Changes how we connect to one another. This is this idea of radical compassion. But when you go through the book of Acts, it doesn't just end here. Because at this point in the story, we're really still just talking about one culture loving one another. At this point in the story, the first church is almost universally all early Jewish converts to the story of Christianity. Right? They all come from the same country. They all speak the same language. And so there's this unity, but it's a very similar-looking unity. The story that we heard in our gospel reading, though, starts to change that a little bit. Because what we have is the background is Peter gets told by the Holy Spirit, I need you to go and meet with Cornelius. Cornelius was a Greek soldier who had a lot of wealth. And what we find in the scripture is that he was a God-fearing Gentile. And at that time, the Jews were not the only ones who believed in God. But the story went that God had separated the Jews to be the holders of the promise, to be the holders of the covenant that God was going to redeem the world. And so they were separated. But then you had these other cultures who started to hear the story of what God was up to. And they would say, hey, I, I believe in that God. In fact, they would help invest in that God. Cornelius invested money into the Jewish religion. He believed in the story of the Old Testament. But even as a God-fearing Gentile, there still was a separation. Gentiles couldn't enter into certain parts of the temple because they weren't considered the true family. And so there, even though a Jewish man or woman would say, yeah, he believes in God, it was kind of like a caste system. It was a lesser level of connection to God. He wasn't part of the real family. And so when the Holy Spirit tells Peter, I need you to go here. I need you to connect to this man. It's already kind of weird. And then Peter has this crazy dream. It's kind of a long dream. That's why we didn't include it in the scripture. But essentially what happens is in the Old Testament, the Jewish people were not allowed to eat certain types of food. And what ends up happening is Peter has this dream and this carpet rolls down from heaven and there's all these kinds of foods that Peter's not supposed to eat. And God keeps on telling him, I want you to eat this. And Peter's like, no, I know better than that. No bacon for me. And God's like, eat the bacon. And they have this whole conversation, literally around pork. 
And Peter's like, I'm not supposed to eat this. And God says, what I tell you is clean is clean. What I tell you you can connect to, you can connect to. Because I'm going to do something new. And then Peter gets connected to Cornelius. This God-fearing Greek who's from a different culture, who speaks a different language. And, God, and Peter starts to testify to the story of who Jesus is. And that's what our gospel reading was today. He began to tell the story of who Jesus is. You know the message of God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And then he goes through the story of who Jesus is. Talks through how Jesus came to Jerusalem, which was always part of the Old Testament narrative. God is going to send a Messiah. God was with him, he says. We are witnesses to everything he did. And then we crucified him. He tells the story of the gospel. He tells how Jesus rose from the dead and how he commanded them to preach. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, and this is important, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues, praising God, Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of them being baptized with the water. They have already received the Holy Spirit, just as we have. What we see in the first church is this idea of radical diversity. It wasn't just about one culture being better than the rest. It wasn't about there being a A1 and then every other culture beneath it. What God was doing was going to be different than what he did in the past. You see, in the Old Testament, God had set Israel and the Jews aside. And he says, I need you to be set apart. And from that set-apartness, there became this idea that we're set apart because we're better. That was never the part of the Old Testament. That was never the point of the Old Testament. They were set apart because they were going to hold the promise of the Messiah. And once the Messiah comes, it levels the playing field. There's no longer one culture that's better than another culture. And the Messiah comes to bring everyone into community. And so it's no longer do you speak the right language, do you come from the right country. No, there is this diversity that God calls the church to. And it is so countercultural to what was happening 2,000 years ago. Quite frankly, it's still countercultural to what's happening today. Martin Luther King famously quoted the most segregated time of the week is church on Sunday morning. We want to be around people that are like us because it makes us feel comfortable. It makes us feel safe. We can get in our heads that at that point, I mean, yeah, God loves everybody. But, but we're unique. We're set apart. And what we see in Scripture is one of the marks of the church is this radical diversity that breaks through all cultural boundaries. Breaks through all backgrounds. And we see that taken one step further 
in this next portion of Scripture. This comes from Acts 15. Now certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you can't be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, Samaria, sorry, they uh, told the Gentiles how they had been converted. This news made all the believers glad. When they came to Jerusalem. They were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them, brothers, You know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. All right, the background of this deals with circumcision. And in the Old Testament, the Jewish people were set apart, and the way they were set apart was through the ritual of circumcision. I don't want to go too deep into this. That's a rather intimate subject, right? And so the debate that was happening wasn't whether or not Gentiles could be saved. The debate that started to happen was, well, okay, God can save them. God can rescue them. But they have to be like us. They have to act like we do. And not act like we do, like they have to love their neighbor as their self. Not a moral action, but a cultural action. And so they said, we had to be circumcised. The Old Testament, that's how we were set apart. And so if you really want to be connected to God, you have to have these cultural marks. And if you refuse, well, then you can't be a part of this community. And the church is having this debate. The first church is wrestling through, what does this look like? What does this community, what does this unity look like? And eventually Peter says, hey, I thought we all agreed that we were saved by grace alone. Not by cultural appropriation. And they end by saying, We believe it is through grace, our Lord, that we are saved, just as they are. There is a radical belonging in the book of Acts. That we are connected to one another. And it is deeper and it is more true than anything that could divide us. And we're really good at dividing in America, aren't we? 
What news source do you go to? Who do you follow on Instagram or Twitter? Who did you vote for in the last election? What school system do your kids go to? We divide ourselves deeper and deeper and deeper, and that infects the church too. And yet what we see in the first church is this idea that we all belong to one another. That our core identity is no longer what country we come from, what language we speak, what party we belong to, what school we go to. No, there is this radical belonging that comes because of Jesus. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, dividing the wall of hostility by setting aside in the flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. So consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Paul writes to the first church and he says, you belong to one another. There aren't multiple groups anymore. There aren't multiple humanities anymore. There is one true peace. And we all come through the same door. The cross levels the playing field. Because in the cross, we all have to admit to God, you know what, I'm part of the problem I've made mistakes, I've rebelled against creation, and he forgives us. Individually, he says, you are forgiven, I remember your sins no more. And then he says, now I need you to go and forgive and love this new community. Because we're reconciled through the cross. The heartbeat of our community The fabric that ties us together isn't that we all are supposed to love each other by our own strength. It isn't our skin tone. It isn't our language. Our community's foundation is on the work of Christ. And through his love, we learn to love. Through his forgiveness, we learn to forgive, and we learn to be a new community. It becomes our heartbeat, our rhythm for life together. And it changes how we connect to people both inside the church. This is where it gets a little uncomfortable. It also changes how we relate to people 
outside of the church, what our posture is towards people. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 9. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jew, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all means, I might save some for the sake of the gospel. I'm about to ask an uncomfortable question. I'll be... The first to admit, this question makes me uncomfortable too. What Paul says here is, I will become like anyone to connect with them. Because I will leave my core identity in Christ and Christ alone. Because we have a lot of different identities in America. We have a lot of things that we can say, this is what is going to define me. The almighty Facebook. My grandma calls it the in-your-face, which is hysterical. She's like, oh, do you have that in-your-face thing? Which is, I think, a really good definition for Facebook, right? This is who I am. This is what I believe. So here's the question. Are there any areas in your life where if people from a different cultural background encountered you, they wouldn't feel welcomed into your Christian community? Do you have an identity so strong outside of Christ that if people heard you talking, that they wouldn't feel comfortable because they come from a different background? This makes me uncomfortable. And yet this is Christian community. That God says, I need you to leave all of it at the door for Christ. And this doesn't mean that you don't get to have views. That's not what I'm saying here. This doesn't mean that you can't believe one thing about politics or schools or sports teams. That's not the point. But the point is, is your core identity in Christ? And do people realize that? Do people feel welcome by that? Because that's the type of community that God is trying to create this radical belonging and diversity and compassion where it's not marked by our own personal beliefs, our own cultures, but by Christ. That is the church of the first century. That is who we are trying to be in the 21st century. And guys, let me tell you, there is power in this. There was power that breaks down walls and boundaries. And we have seen this through every generation of the church. To show you what this can look like, I have a quote. And this quote was from Emperor Julian in the 300s. And Christianity was blowing up. And the emperor of the time wanted to get rid of Christianity, and they had tried everything. They had thrown us into the gladiator pits. They had outlawed Christianity. They had made it illegal. They had tried to kill us. They had tried to defame us. They, burned the blame, they blamed the burning of Rome on the church, and yet the church kept expanding. And Emperor Julian the Apostate, he's named that because he hated the church so much, finally said, we've got to do research into why the church is growing. 
And this is what he says. Why has Christianity spread? Because they are charitable to the stranger, the foreigner, and the immigrant in their midst. Because together they treat the broken with respect, both in life and in death. And because their outward character matches what they preach. These irritating Christians support their own as well as ours. Our own people go to them for help. This is not a Christian. This is the enemy of the Christian community. And his response to why Christianity is growing is because their community is so loving, is so radically compassionate and diverse and creates belonging. That's how the church is growing. Because they have a different kind of community. A community that is forgiven, and so they forgive. A community whose God loves them, so they love. A community whose God has connected to them. And so they connect to each other, and they connect to the world. Heavenly Father, Lord, We come first asking for forgiveness for the times where we do not create that kind of community. Where our actions, where our identity can be split, where you're a part of our identity, but then we've got other parts that we want to hold to. And yet, God, you are calling us to have our foundation, the chief cornerstone of who we are in your son and him alone. And yet, Lord, you come with us, to us with forgiveness, with love, with connection, and then you connect us to other brothers and sisters to love on us and to love. Lord, we pray for this church here in Leander that we could become known as radically compassionate and diverse where everyone feels they belong. It's a bold prayer, Lord, but it's a prayer after your own heart. We say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.